This time of in-between is a time of tension. Do you feel it? You should. Author Fleming Rutledge describes this time of in-between as one of Advent. Listen to what she writes. She says, Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, between darkness and dawn, between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. It is not the time of fulfillment. It is the time of waiting. It is not the time of seeing face to face. It is the time of seeing through a glass darkly. It is not the time of triumphant victory. It is the time of bearing the cross. Grace Chapel, this is where we are, this time in between, this time of tension, this time of waiting, this time of wondering, this time of seeing through a glass darkly, is a time for us to bear the cross. Rutledge continues in saying this, If you find this tension almost unbearable at times, then you understand the Christian life. We live in the turn of the ages, she says. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is on a head-on collision with the powers of darkness. And this point of impact is the place where we Christians must take our stand. And she concludes, that is why it hurts. See, living in this time of tension, living in this in-between hurts. It's supposed to. Jesus never called us to this semblance of suburban comfort or middle-class prosperity or this idea of control. Rutledge's takeaway is this. We must wait for Jesus' return. He will come, but until that time, we wait. And we must be awake. We must be ready. Brothers and sisters, we are called to wait. We are called to dwell in the in-between. Our lives are full of tension. This is part of the waiting. This is part of the cross we are to bear. But we must stay awake. Brothers and sisters, Christ's call to us is nothing less than a call to war. But how far removed are our lives from this thinking? Our lives are so far removed from read through the book of Acts and see how far removed our lives are from the lives of the early church. That joy-infused, living, breathing way of Christ in Acts. Our lives are so far removed from this wartime mentality and how desperately we as Christ people need to recover this perspective. If I can find one thing positive from this time of pandemic, it is this. That God is using it to free us from these false illusions of control, these false illusions of comfort, this false illusion of prosperity, this false illusion of having everything together. See, these false realities in God's mercy and grace are being stripped away. If you are awake, and if you are aware, you should realize by now how little you really have. How little control you really have. How little worldly comfort there really is. See, during Isaiah's ministry, the people of Israel in the northern kingdom were conquered and carried away into exile. The southern kingdom of Judah witnessed their brothers and sisters' destruction, and they knew they were next. Judgment was coming. It was only a matter of time. 
And they were living in this reality, in this in-between. The control was gone. Their comfort was non-existent. Their prosperity was literally being stripped away. And it is here at this moment God raised up Isaiah to call them back to repentance, to offer them hope if they turned and believed in God. This morning, God offers us that same call to repentance and hope. God is calling us out of our comfort, calling us out of our false sense of control, calling us out of our prosperity, and He is saying, follow me, come to me. God is calling us to Himself. God has promised and is promising that He will make all things new. And He fulfills this promise through His chosen servant, who is none other than Jesus Christ. See, God's chosen servant, God's Christ, comes to establish justice, secure salvation, and the result of that is that all things are made new. And for us, this is our foundation, this is our comfort, and this is our hope. And we respond in worship. We respond in praise and proclamation. So this morning, as we focus on these promises of God, here's what I want us to focus on specifically. God sends His his chosen servant to establish justice, to secure salvation, making all things new. God sends His servant to establish justice, to secure salvation, making all things new. So how do we respond? Our response is worship. Our response is mission. Our response is praise and proclamation. So four points we're going to walk through this morning. First one is this. God's servant establishes justice. We'll see this in verses 1 to 4. God's servant establishes justice. The second point is this. God's servant secures salvation. In verses 5 through 8, he secures, Jesus Christ secures salvation in 5 through 8. But the result of this, there is a result in verse 9, that God makes all things new. That is the third point, God making all things new in Christ. And the last, in verses 10 to 12, we'll see the last point, our response. It is worship, it is praise, it is proclamation, it is mission. So let's begin by hearing and reading God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, open the song, I'm sorry, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 12. Isaiah 42, 1 through 12. God's holy word says this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastland and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastland. This is the Word of God for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, our heart's desire is praise and proclamation. May we be instilled to worship you this morning. May we be encouraged to proclaim your greatness to others this morning. Help us, we pray, to have ears to hear, hearts to believe, and minds to process, but hands and feet to do. We thank you, Christ, and it's in your great name we pray. Amen. First point this morning is this, that God's servant establishes justice. We see this in verses 1 through 4 that we just read. And we see the desperate need of justice. Turn on the news. We need the Lord's justice. If a man who is accused of taking what may or may not be a counterfeit $10 bill, if George Floyd is there left laying on the ground with four police officers surrounding him, one officer with his knee on Floyd's neck, and Floyd there crying out for his life. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the cop, the one who has all power at that moment, chooses to not listen let alone that this one officer had 18 previous complaints against him and he's still in uniform. Something is wrong. A little closer to home for me, this past Thursday, I woke up Friday morning to learn that four people were shot right in front of my old house in Philly. Literally right in front of my house. We've heard reports from neighbors that because the cops are doing nothing, things are going crazy down in South Philly. It is the only way to describe it is lawlessness. The very night before the cops were called three times, they never came. Not once. The very next day, no surprise, there was a shooting where four people were shot. My friend, who is a cop in Philly, when I told him of the inaction of the cops, his fellow brothers, he simply said this, Yeah, that sounds about right. While all of this sounds about right, it is most definitely not right. Those with power over people should not be those who inact, who do not act, who do not do, or use their force in a wrong way. We are given power to care and love for others. That is what justice is. When you put your 
knee on someone's neck and they cry out that they can't breathe. That is an injustice when you allow people to shoot. And you, those who shot themselves, that is injustice. Those who were shot, that is injustice. All of this is broken. All of this is not the way it's supposed to be. We, as followers of Christ, should feel this weight ever since the fall. Justice. The cry, the world has been full of injustice, and the cry of God's people has been for the Lord to establish and bring his justice. Read the Psalms. Many of the Psalms, so many Psalms, are cries for justice. The psalmist cries out to God because something is wrong, something is broken. There is oppression, there is brokenness, there is sin. So the psalmist cries out, God save, God act, redeem us, rescue us, restore us, fix what is broken, O Lord. Establish your justice. Consider briefly Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble and arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor? That is injustice. The poor are being oppressed by the arrogant and the wicked. So the psalmist calls upon the Lord. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. That is a call for justice. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Psalms are full of these calls for justice. And yet we as God's people rarely ever pray them. Rarely do we ever pray for God to bring forth his justice. The good news is that he does. He has and he will. In Christ, God answers our cries. He answers the cries of the Psalms. Christ is the answer to injustice. Christ is the Lord's chosen servant. Look again at verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. There are a number of things to note here. First, Jesus is the servant. He is actually sent from the Lord to carry out the Lord's will. The second thing, he is upheld by the Lord. There's a level of dependence in this relationship. We see this throughout Jesus' earthly ministry as he goes to his Father in prayer. He is also chosen. Like all of God's people, the Lord's servant is chosen to a task. He is purposed with a mission. The fourth thing is that the Lord delights in him. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him and the Father spoke. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The fifth thing from this one verse is this. The Lord puts a spirit upon him. Jesus' entire life on earth was a life lived empowered by the Spirit of God. So what is this mission of the servant? This servant who is upheld, chosen, delighted, and empowered by the Spirit. He is to establish justice to the nations, to the ends of the earth. He is to faithfully bring forth justice. And the servant is to bring forth justice with compassion. 
He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The Lord establishes justice with love and compassion, but he also holding together, he does this with holding together strength and might. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The servant of the Lord holds compassion and strength, love and justice together as he establishes his righteousness to the ends of the earth. That, brothers and sisters, is the promise of our God. And it's right here at this moment where we encounter this promise, where this tension arises yet again. See, we are promised that the Lord's servant will establish justice faithfully throughout the world. But it's pretty clear from the state of things that justice has not yet come, at least not fully in its fullest sense. But we believe in faith that justice is established. We set our eyes on that it is not fully established, but yet it one day will be established. And this within us creates this deep-seated painful tension in our lives. But that, as Fleming Rutledge reminds us, is being part of the Christian life. Second point this morning is this. That God's servant not only secures justice, but he secures our salvation. Look again at verses 5 through 8. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's servant secures salvation. So here's the important truth we need to take away from this passage. Scripture really, this runs throughout Scripture. It's this. God keeps his covenant. God faithfully keeps his covenant. And here he declares his covenant faithfulness through his chosen servant, Christ. He secures the salvation of his people but let's step back a moment. In verse 5, we come face to face with the Lord who is our creator and sustainer. He is the one who created the heavens. He is the one to stretch them out. He also gives life and breath, spirit to those who walk on it. He breathes life into humanity. So this creator, this sustainer is also our redeemer. But what does this salvation look like? In verse 6, tells us, about the Lord's relationship with his chosen servant, with Jesus. Verse 7 tells us what this chosen servant does. So not only does Jesus establish justice, he also secures salvation for all who believe and trust in him. At verse 6, the Lord calls out Jesus in righteousness. He takes him by the hand. He keeps him. See, Jesus is set aside and empowered for a task. Jesus himself is fully aware of his mission. Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus himself says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus knew that his Father was giving him as a covenant for his people. Jesus is our covenant promise. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his powerful resurrection testify to us, remind us, restore our hope that God is faithful. He declares at the cross, I will be your God, you will be my people. Jesus doesn't only just fulfill the covenant, he is the covenant. He is the giver of our salvation. And note, this covenant is not just for Israel. I love this. The universal aspect runs throughout these latter chapters of Isaiah. He is a light for the nations. This goes back, for those who think the Old Testament is just for the people of Israel, this dates all the way back to God's promise to make Abraham a spiritual father of many nations, countless nations that number the stars and the sky and the sand and the seas. God is a God who desires the nations to believe. Look again at verse 7 to see what Jesus has promised to do. He will open eyes that are blind. He will bring prisoners out of dungeons. This is nothing short of spiritual rebirth. While Jesus began his earthly ministry, he picked up Isaiah. He turned to Isaiah 61 and he said this. We see this story in Luke 4. Jesus stands up and says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor, but we also long for the fulfillment of the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus God's chosen servant has come to redeem and save his people. He comes to secure our salvation. But this too falls under that tension of the already and not yet. Yes, we are redeemed, saved, and secure. But a time is coming when our salvation will be perfect and complete. Peter hints at this attention in 1 Peter 1. He says, We are born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, we have that living hope now, but there's also a future inheritance we will receive once Christ returns. So we are saved by grace through faith. We were once dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And we are raised up with Him, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't really feel like it, does it? We are citizens in heaven, but not yet, not fully. Our inheritance is stored up, and one day, on that day when Christ returns, we will receive our full inheritance in all measure. Eternal life with God. Eternal life with the Father, the Son, the Spirit forevermore. Our salvation, if you believe and trust in Christ, is secure for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have that hope 
Because Jesus establishes justice. Jesus secures salvation. And in doing so, our third point, he makes all things new. Look at verse 9. Isaiah declares, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. See, this already not yet promise of justice established and salvation secured points us to the hope that one day all things will be made new. The former things will come to pass. The Lord is declaring that he will recreate new things. See, this renewal of all things runs throughout these latter chapters of Isaiah. As we live in this in-between, we have a foretaste of this reality. But this foretaste is only a taste, it's an appetizer. It should create a longing, a deeper desire full of full reality. Yes, justice has been established, but injustice remains. Yes, our salvation is secure, but the Christian life is a battle, a war. Yes, we are new creations in Christ, but we remain incomplete, imperfect. We all know that we are works in process. But we have this promise. That one day we will be complete and perfect, Paul says. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ. See, this tension that we are living in, this in-between is what theologians call the already and the not yet. There's a true sense where Christ's death and resurrection, he's already established justice. He's already secured salvation. At the cross, justice was compassionately and mightily established. Salvation was secured. But it is not yet complete. People are still shot and murdered. People are still killed unjustly. Those in power still abuse their power with force or inaction. Those who follow Christ still live in the tension and the sickness and the weight of sin and misery and depression and sadness and sorrow. But the hope of this passage is that there is a time that is coming. A time where Jesus will completely and perfectly fulfill his mission of establishing justice, of securing salvation. But for now, it is not yet. This tension where we know and have assurance that we are saved and redeemed, but life remains brutally difficult. See, we are like those prodigal sons. We want our inheritance now. But Christ tells us to wait. Wait, I am coming. When I come, you will receive it. But until then, you must wait. So what then, that not yet, when will that be fully realized? When it is, God will dwell with his people. The promise of God when Jesus comes again is that he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more injustice. Death shall be no more. Our salvation will be secure. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. The former things will pass away. As John prophetically declares, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new I hope brothers and sisters that is the day you are truly longing for that day when Jesus returns to make all things new but until then 
we remain in the in-between. And while we wait, the Psalms must become our heart's cry. Oh Lord, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Arise, come, act, save your people. May our collective cry be united. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So as we wait, what are we to do? Two things. We see these in verses 10 to 12. How do we live in light of this tension? How do we wait? How do we have this wartime mentality? We give praise and we proclaim. Verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Qatar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Brothers and sisters, as we wait, we go to war with our praise and with our proclamation. See, waiting is active. Waiting is war. We don't wage war with guns or weapons. Our weapons are spiritual. Our weapons involve worship and mission. We respond first with praise. We respond with worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. That is what we do as we wait. We sing. We praise. Our praise should echo throughout the world from one end to the other. Our praise of the Lord fills the seas, echoes through the coastlands, and spreads to all peoples. Even desert cities lift up their voices and sing for the joy of the Lord. So we join as the psalmists cry out for justice and salvation. They still offered up praise to God. See, that tension they lived in didn't keep them from praising the Lord. Nor should it keep us from praising Him. We live in that tension. We feel the unbearable weight of that tension. Of God's establishing justice, securing our salvation, but not fully realizing it. But that should not paralyze us. That should motivate us. That should give us courage and strength to praise. May our praise ever be on our lips, flowing out of our hearts. But we don't end with just praise. We turn our praise, secondly, into proclamation. We respond with mission. See, proclamation is nothing but a declaration of our praise before others. We give glory to the Lord and declare His praise throughout the world to the nations, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to declare, proclaim, to preach the good news that justice is established and will be established, that salvation is secure and will be secured. To lift up the name that is above every name, the name that one day will cause all to bow, the name that will one day cause all to confess, Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is Lord. That is our praise. That is our proclamation. That is what we do as we wait. We give worship and we go on mission. If I may borrow from Fleming Rutledge again, she says this, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Watch. Discern the signs, call them for what they are. Speak against the darkness, bear the cross. Praise God for the hope of his marvelous light. And rejoice, rejoice believers in the hope of glory. 
Grace Chapel, let me leave you with this. We are one day closer. Do you believe that? We are one day closer to the glorious and blessed return of our Lord Jesus. We are one day closer to his justice being perfectly and completely established. One day closer to justice being fulfilled. One day closer to all the murders, all the brokenness, all the inaction, all the abuse, all of that being eradicated. We are one day closer to our salvation being secured, to seeing our Savior, our beloved Savior, the lover of our souls face to face. We are one day closer. But we are not there yet. As we wait, let us give praise and proclaim the Lord's mercies to ourselves, to one another, and to the world. Our Father, Father of mercies, Hear our cries. We long for your justice to be established throughout the world. We long desperately for your salvation to spread throughout the nations. As we wait and go to war in this in-between, help us to faithfully pursue you. May we find comfort and hope and strength and courage, knowing that you make all things new. Jesus, we long for that day. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Until then, keep us, hold us, secure us in the firm grip of your mighty hand, and enable us, Spirit, to give your praise and to proclaim your greatness to the nations. In the wonderful, mighty, powerful, compassionate, and loving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.